fans and welcome back to the Demon Lamb podcast. My name is Andy and it's been 635 days since the D's last lost two games in a row. Incidentally, those two defeats were also against the Dockers and the Swans and we all know what happened as a result of those losses. Joining me tonight to discuss our latest defeat is Demonland veteran George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Binland. Good evening, Demon listeners. Yes, two successive losses. Have the wheels fallen off or is it something else at play? We'll hopefully find out. But uh, just a warning to the listeners, this could be a long night given that uh, we might have had to put a new server on at Demon Land to cope with the interest this week. Well, it'll either be a long night or, or very quick. <laughs> so I've, uh, I've got a very bad <laughs> headache and I think it's as a result of the two losses. I don't know how to deal with myself. Um, also joining us tonight, a man that can hopefully talk me off the ledge and convince me that the sky is not falling. Bin Man, good evening, Bin Man. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, George. Good evening, Demon Landers. And tonight, actually, all we're going to do is uh, replay the um, episode, the Demon Land, Demon Land podcast from this very point in time last season, and that's all we'll need to do because we're about to discuss pretty much the same thing. So, um, you know, history does repeat despite the AFL mantra. It seems that we have a collective amnesia and all our memories are reset um, to come round one every year and we forget everything that we've sort of landed on in previous years. But, uh, yeah, I'll touch on that a bit later. Uh, what were we last year at this time? We we won our first nine, then we lost one. So that we was nine and one. By, beaten by the Crows. Then yep. we regathered ourselves and um, beat the Dogs. Round 12 in this game, we started slowly, 22 points down against Lions, if yep. I recall correctly. Looked a bit flat. Um, and then came out and attacked in that um, second half and got over the top. And then the very next week, we got beaten by Collingwood. So we were looking, yeah. we were looking a lot better last year because um, one, we had a better win loss record, but we had just knocked off two big contenders. We've just lost now to two, well, one very big contender and one sort of middle of the top eight. <laughs> Well, if you recall, though, we, there was lots of people jumping up and down after the Adelaide loss and even before that. And, um, uh, yeah, we had uh, two good uh, wins in a row. But, uh, yeah, it's similar, similar. I would have preferred to have lost to, to West Coast or North and then beaten both Fremantle and Swans. No, you wouldn't have. No, definitely not. <laughs> All right, maybe no. not. No but uh, I did see today on Twitter that uh, – the Tigers in 2019 lost three games in a row and were 7-6 after round 13. Eagles in 2018 were 10-1 and then lost three games in a row. Tigers in 2017 lost three games in a row and were 7-5 after round 13. So Jeez, uh, all these... You cut my lunch there, Andy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> all right, everyone, forget that. <laughs> <laughs> but those <laughs> facts are true. Those facts are true. The, the big question is why. 
Uh, why, why did that happen at the midpoint of those seasons? All right, so we will find out all of uh, all of that later. But uh, I will give uh, a bit of a summary of the match in case uh, you were were elsewhere. Uh, my night didn't start off right with the news that Tom McDonald was to be replaced in the side uh, by Mitch Brown um, due to at the time an unspecified foot injury. I don't think we even know. We know it's a list frank, but we don't know how much time. But it's probably for the rest of the season. Uh, the news, in fact had been leaked a few days before on Demonland, but that was just an unsubstantiated rumour at the time, and it's turned out to be 100% accurate. So for everyone who's keeping scores, I think it was T. Davis on on Demonland. He's got the good mail. So um, we talked last week about the importance of Tom McDonald's strength in the contest uh, in the forward line. This strength is crucial to the blocking he provides, not to mention his own strong marking and scoring capabilities um, with confirmation that T-Mac will probably now be out for the rest of the season with that injury. It's likely that we we won't see him again and that absence in the forward line, you know, has certainly been felt. It was felt on the weekend and we'll talk more about our, our forward line woes uh, in a little bit, a little bit later. It's absolutely clear that uh, we are a different side without the general in Stephen May down back. Uh, Tomlinson is he, not really an adequate replacement to what we get out of May. And I was almost despondent when Petty went down for a second week in a row. He did, however, uh, return. He showed his class when he came back on. Clearly hampered, though, by the shoulder injury, but he was still able to produce some great contester marks and and spoils. So let's hope there's nothing more serious there. Uh, Whilst it was encouraging to have some of the cavalry return from injury this week, none of them were able to have the same impact that we have come to expect from them. Salem, for all his polish, just seemed a little bit off, which is to be expected given his 10 or 11 weeks on the sidelines. Ed Langdon's run and endurance on the wing just wasn't as damaging as it's been, and perhaps he too is still hampered by his broken ribs, and harms as well failed to impact the contest, bar a cameo here and there. Our first quarter was blistering, and it's what we've come to expect from the Ds as we piled on five goals to one. Yet a worrying aspect of the last few weeks is that we get out to these early leads only to allow our opposition uh, to get back into the match and and overrun us in the end. And no longer can we just rely on our superior fitness. And I'm wondering if that superior fitness is still there or if it's the injuries that many players are carrying or if it's loading, which we're going to talk about later, are having an effect on the outcomes of these matches. After blowing our lead in the second quarter, we were able to get the match back on our terms in the third, but then the dreaded inaccuracy came home to roost after an accurate first half and we wasted a number of opportunities kicking one goal five for the quarter. In the past two weeks, guys, our last halves have been costly. One goal five and one goal one in the last two quarters of this match and last week it was one goal two and zero goals four. And that's three goals, 12 behinds to 16 goals, nine in the last half over the last two weeks. That's 105 to 30 over two weeks in the second half, a 75 point deficit over those two weeks. And surely this is a bit bit of a worrying sign. And I'll talk more about our lack of connection with our forward line later um, uh, when we go into our tactical talk. Needless to say, Bombing it high and long into our forward line is not working. Thankfully, Max and Fritsch were able to contribute six goals between them, but the Browns did fail to score any goals and neither did our small forward brigade. Max Gorn was simply outstanding with 28 disposals and a PB of 23 contested possessions, 30 hitouts uh, and 11 to advantage, 10 score involvement, nine marks, six of them contested, five clearances and three goals. He really was my only highlight of the night. 
So where to from here? It's clear that this side is not firing on all cylinders. It was fantastic to bank all those wins early on, but I don't buy that we weren't going at uh, that we were ju- weren't getting out of second gear for most of the season. I think second gear was enough to win those matches against oppositions that were performing poorly. But these tar- past two weeks were the weeks to show where we were truly at, and I'll concede that injuries and structures hampered us against the Dockers and injuries. Uh, may have had a hand in the loss, but uh, there are some other worrying signs, and we'll get stuck into those as the show goes on. Uh, guys, do you want to have any? Do you have any general uh, comments you want to make uh, about the uh, the match, uh, George? I'll start with you. Uh, really, nothing. I think we'll cover it all off in the various um, things that we're going to talk about tonight. But there is absolutely no doubt that we are not kicking enough goals at the moment, and hopefully, we can find a few reasons tonight. Yeah. Look, I mean, again, I'll touch on it a bit later, but I think the, the one of the critical things that um, the D's fans really need to understand about how we play as it relates to our offense is that our defensive system is at the heart of um, the three phases of football that Goody has talked about uh, ever since he's been at the club. They're all interconnected, and our defense, our offensive system is completely reliant on our defensive system to work. And our defensive defensive system is built on two things. In fact, our whole game plan is built on two things. Number one is contested ball. Now, all clubs are um, contested ball. There's no club in the AFL who doesn't prioritise contested ball anymore. That's you know that's um, the standard footy. The the um, spread on our defence is all based on our ability to cover the ground and gut run and not just one player doing it, not just two players doing it, not just that two or three like back in 2019 when it was Nibbler doing that sort of running. 28, 22 players, four on the bench and the eight on the field all doing that sort of running. Um, and if we're not able to or we're not doing that running for whatever reason, whether it be injury or uh, whatever the cause is, is simply we won't score um, because uh, – and so critique of the forward line has to be considered in the context of the way we score. And when we score, we swarm. We move the ball. When we press go, we move the ball in waves. We've talked about this um, through the season and in and, and previous seasons – two or three players running either side of the the ball carrier. Uh, We absolutely swarm opposition and we get it forward, which means that often um, we're we're kicking to a forward line where we've got two or three free players because we're pressed forward and beat them on the the rebound. You only need to look at the the key stat to tell us um, the, you know, what's going on where our defensive running's not at, is we didn't score a single point from a turnover um, this game. I mean, that... I believe we scored five points. Uh, five, single goal from um, turnover, and they scored seven, I understand. Um, and, you know, that is all about the defensive running. Um, and so you're going to have a forward line that looks... When you strip away our ability to create um, fast um, breaks into our forward line that create those one... Uh, sorry, um, free players that happens all the time when we're on. If you strip that away, what you're left with is talls who um, multiple ones go up in the pack and it frustrates everyone to no, no end. Kicking into the pocket suddenly looks disastrous. It looks looks like hard work and that's how it's looked for the last um, couple of weeks. But there was one stat, I can't remember, Andy, sorry if you mentioned it, but that I think is really important in the context of, of this game is that we had 100... Um, 50 contested possessions to 136. Um, we 
it wasn't for um, lack of physical effort. If there, if we were being complacent and we were um, dropping off and our heads weren't in the game, um, then there's no way we wouldn't have 14 more contested possessions and a team that everyone was talking about how fantastic um, the pressure was from the Swans. But we had 12 more contested possessions than them. That speaks to me of a team that is is um, got a Ted in the game and is right on. Um, but what's clear, you, know, you, you just have to watch you know what's happening just have to watch them at the at the ground is we're not spreading as hard we're simply not we max gorn was was sucking wind 10 minutes into that first quarter um we're clearly fatigued um and it, it reminded me just of the last game that i saw last year at the g the the giants game it was so evident that we were fatigued in that game i've never it was never more evident and that's what it looks like to me at the moment so um i think that you know, they all all power to the Swans. They they played terrific, but I, I reckon that contested possession is a good, it's a really good indicator that um, people shouldn't be too concerned, particularly about the sort of fear that maybe we've you know we've we've got complacent or um, you know our game's in good shape. Those numbers all looked pretty solid. We had um, sixty five turnovers, both teams, uncontested possessions. We had thirty five more than them. Um, you know, we had. You know, the uh, possession was was pretty level. Um, you know, the numbers were pretty similar. Um, and I, I would argue that once you take away our weapon, which is our defensive spread and what we get from it, we then just be, we, we come back to the pack and we look like the Swans and that's the, our level. Um, but it won't be our level come finals when we've got our defensive running up and going again. Well, I'll talk more a bit later about scores from turnovers because that's um, my, one of my uh, improvements uh, to talk about later because we've been very well down. And when I rack, when I roll off some of these stats, you'll see just how down we are. Um, uh, well, let's get into our tactics talk. Uh, George, tonight uh, you want to talk about the resting ruck and the forward line structure, so take it away. Yeah, it was just something that uh, I noticed particularly in this game, but I've been keeping an eye on the last couple of games as well. Um, uh, and so it's more about uh, a question I've got about whether we're getting uh, full benefit out of the way that we're utilising our, our rucks and the resting. Um, th- we were obviously resting the ruck in the forward line. <coughs> um, so what I what I observed was that the resting ruck goes to the traditional full forward role. Um, now, m- my questions are, um, this is then used as part of the rotations. So once... Max, for example, goes to the full forward position. He displaces Ben Brown or he, or he displaces Mitch Brown in this game. So we're lacking a full forward suddenly. We've got a replacement full forward sitting there, there in there. Any, uh, either Max or Jacko are not leading full forwards. They're ruckmen. And then while they're good there to get a mark, and that was quite successfully utilised by Max in this game, it wasn't by Jackson. So... My question is, um, are we actually inhibiting ourselves in our forwards by firstly running one less forward and then replacing it with someone who's not a forward in the first place? Um, the second question, of course, is are we actually getting a rest into our ruck by doing this? It's been a successful um, exercise for us for the last two years because, if you recall, very, very few teams ran two proper ruckmen until we started doing it a couple of years ago. Um, 
has the advantage disappeared now? Most teams seem to be running the double ruckman. But my question is about are we actually inhibiting the leading patterns of the genuine forwards that we've got by putting a ruckman in there? Are we inhibiting our chances of getting goals by actually taking one of the forwards out as part of the rotations? So it's just a question I'd like to ask. Man, what do you think? I think it's hard to tell at the moment. Um, I, there's a few things going on in that space, I reckon, one of which is that they're clearly um, giving uh, Jackson more time in the ruck. Um, that's, you know, there's been talk about whether Maxie's carrying a bit of a niggle, but, I mean, he was phenomenal on the weekend. That was one of the most incredible games of footy. I mean, he's played some incredible games of footy in the last couple of years, and that was right up there of his personal best. So that that's definitely a factor. I, I, and on that, I've been a bit surprised, actually, that Maxie hasn't gone back more um, to shore up our defence, particularly when May's been out of the team in the last couple of weeks. So that um, is interesting. I wonder part of... I, I think it's an interesting question in terms of when you have someone who's not in that forward line um, as a standard thing for everyone's patterns around it, I guess, not just the, the leading one. But, I mean, it's been interesting, hasn't it, George? He's, Maxie's not just been in the forward line. He's playing super deep. He's playing out of the goal square, uh, which is Ben Brown's sort that's of starting spot normally. So yeah, you're right. That, I mean, that's that, exactly my question, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of bound to cause a bit of discombobulation for Ben Brown, I reckon. Seems to me there's a few things that t- um, Goody has been sort of experimenting with this year, and that's one of them. Gus on the halfback flank was is another one that's sort of really interesting. I fully expected Salem to come back in. Maybe it was because Rivers went out and, and and Brayshaw to be moved back to the wing. But, like, that's been an experiment that was born out of necessity, but um, they've stuck with it. And so there's, there's a couple of other things, like Jackson's minutes in the ruck and, um, you know, Hunt playing as a small defender on smalls. So you know, there's been two or three. But, yeah, it's an interesting one. And I wonder whether... I mean, part of it, George, might be that how much better, um, bar that terrible miss from Maxi from the snap, but how much more accurate um, Maxi is now kicking for goal. So he's a legitimate marking threat. But yeah, I, I, it's an interesting query. I'll, I'll have to sort of watch it a little bit. I do feel it does feel a little bit like Goody's experimenting a little bit. And you know, remember last year there was that whole narrative about what's our best forward line look like? Can we even go with three tools? Can we play with T Mac? Can all of that stuff was bubbling away all season, all through this point. And it wasn't until three quarters of the way through the season that we landed on on what was ultimately probably always, in my opinion, going to be the, the setup. And I wonder whether what you're talking about is in the similar space is there's not wanting as much as you know, I take your point that maybe it's hard for us to get to work things out around it, but maybe it's also harder for the opposition to get a read on it if we end up with a slightly different model come finals times. The opposition haven't had quite the time to work out what our patterns are and ways to sort of combat it. But, yeah, it's, it's certainly an interesting one. I mean, I really do like the way Maxi how much more accurate he is. And, and I really like what he's done with his technique because he just comes in off one or two steps now and trusts sort of kicking um, through the ball. Um, and, you know, he's gone from someone you wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't put 10 bucks on from 25 metres out to not quite your home but not far off it. So, yeah, it's an inter- interesting question. There, there's sort of a, a, another follow-on from that is um, 
if you're a mid coming into the forward line, you see Max standing in front of the goal square. Does that cause you to kick to the top of the square? Yeah, um, well, yeah. That's and, 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 you know, the complaints from the outer about, you know, why are we keep kicking it long? Is it because Max is actually there? I yeah. <laughs> well, we kick long. That's the, you know, it's like, again, it's, get used to it, these fans, we kick long. And what is different, you're right, though, is that when he's there, they kick to the top of the square more often, which is risky if he doesn't mark it for reasons we've talked about because then if the opposition get the ground ball, it's in the central corridor, they've got three options to to uh, exit our D50. They've got the central corridor and left and right channels. So um, whereas it's in the pocket, they've got one or it goes over the boundary line for a throw-in. So... Um, he, he's clunking them though, isn't he? And um, I mean, I, I, I like him up forward, but I found it a bit curious as and played more back. There were also a number of times where we did kick it long into the forward line directly to one of their uh, tall defenders who was unmarked. <laughs> so we kicked yeah. it straight to them. And if we do that again this week, um, I would imagine um, more and how are just going to pick those off. Uh, fairly easily. So, I don't know, sometimes we might need to do something a little bit different. And I know you yeah. say get used to it, but I don't want to get used I mean, to opposition defenders just marking it on it, you know. Unopposed. I think an interesting thing about what I was saying before in terms of you take away our defensive spread, it has a, a complete domino effect on every other part of our game. But what's interesting about the way Goody coaches is um, that he doesn't, adjust the game plan. So we still kick long, even though the opposition are um, marking it in our back half, which they never do normally. They're still sticking with the system. Um, and the most evident one of that is it happened again on the weekend, is that um, Swans brought one, sometimes two extras to the stoppage to dominate or have to do their be- One, I don't think, can't recall them bringing two, but um, and we didn't match them. And the same went Frio. Frio will bring two to the to the um, um, bounces and did against Lions too. And Lions matched them. And we didn't. We stuck with our system despite the fact that they were generating their scores from stoppages, Frio. Um, so I, I find that really interesting because he doesn't, even when all of the parts of our game plan aren't working, and in this case I think it's the defensive spread that's um, causing the problems for us. I mean, you can tell the opposition are moving the ball so much more easily than when we're on and and through the corridor and fast, Um, but we're not making an adjustment that might mitigate against that. Um, He's letting the, like, for instance, putting Max back in in the defensive zone. It's, It's a bit like we're staying with their plan, fellas, work around it and we'll work through this. Um, you know, those, uh, like it was a disappointing result. I wasn't surprised we, we lost for the reason of flag a couple of weeks ago that uh, I thought we'd struggle in this period. Having said that, I, I think that we, you know, we arguably should have won the game in the end. We had we had that game um, sort of, we had the rhythm of the, or sorry, the tempo of the game controlled, it seemed like. But that's, again, we're not doing that in the last few weeks, a couple of weeks. We're not controlling the tempo. Frio did a brilliant job of, of controlling it, and so did the Swans, I thought. Um, from our uh, podcast thread, we've got uh, two points uh, from Nairobi Demon. Uh, two point, this is uh, Nairobi Demon. Two points on Goody's press conference stuck out for me. Uh, one, he emphasised our forward method as much as forward personnel performance. 
There were also some interesting observations in the Demoland post-game chat about our forward entry quality depending on where the offensive push begins, e.g. fullback versus halfback slash centre, etc. While I'm sure personal person, personal performance will receive some attention, I'd be curious to hear the panel's thoughts on forward method. Um, two, I was struck by how Frank Goodwin was about um, Mitch Brown playing better forward than Wiedemann. He's normally more encouraging, let's say, but it did make me wonder whether he's lost patience with Wiedemann. Curious what you thought of Mitch Brown's game and whether he's clearly playing better football than Weed or whether he's more marginal. Marginal. I want to take uh, the uh, on Mitch Brown and uh, Weed. I'll take the first part. Maybe, yeah. George, you want to take the Wiedemann Brown part? The first part is just really what I was saying then, is yeah. that the forward method isn't about the forwards. Like the, the for, our way of scoring is is generated through our swarm, our, our all-defensive run and, the, and, and moving it in numbers down the field along the boundary line often um, where we swarm um, in numbers and often ended up with spares inside 50. And when that happens, when we move the ball quickly, we also generate one-on-ones for our forwards. Just as the Swans and Frio did against us, they were able to generate all of those one-on-ones and, you know, we got crucified in the air both times because they moved, both teams moved the ball super quickly and were able to generate it. The Hawthorne did the same when they moved it quickly. Um, when you move the ball quickly, of course, you're more likely to um, prevent the opposition um, getting back and, and creating a good zone in your back half. And so just by, by the function of that, you're going to have more one-on-ones. So when we're on, we get those one-on-ones and the forward method looks better. When we're not on defensively, we end up with a crowded back line. Opposition can flood back. Um, Both teams, you know, defensively, the Swans were much better than I expected them to be. I was super impressed with their defence. Their tackling numbers were off the charts. I think they had 15 more tackles than us. Frio were even um, better. They moved the ball quick, but their defence, they did as good as ours as they move back they got back they clag up that forward line the way to break that is quick ball movement and then suddenly our forward method looks a lot better um so you know i think the other thing with method is that we've had tommy um mac out for the last couple of games that that creates problems george's points probably a good um sort of one in that space as well around what um, gorn's been playing a lot more forward um you know i think that the the I was actually reflecting on this on the weekend. The player that forward slash Ruckman that I've got, you know, probably the biggest question mark over. Everyone's talking about Brown, which is fair enough because he's had pretty average few weeks. But um, Jackson's forward craft doesn't blow me away, um, and I wonder whether that's something that he could work on. He's often up on the half forward flank, and he sort of uses his leap. But um, it, for a player who's played a fair bit of forward, he doesn't seem like a natural forward. I don't know what you think about that, George. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. I, th- I think he needs, well, I think he needs more body strength at the moment. It's easy to forget that he's, what, 20 years of age or, or something yeah. like that. Um, <clears throat> he's in the same position as, as probably Van Royen is. You can see the see the capabilities there, but um, still a long way to go from that perspective. And, and look, in all honesty, in this game, Sydney have got big-bodied backs. Yeah. You know, yeah, when you look yeah. at the McCartans and Rampy and Lloyd, 
they're, they're all big bodies, and, yeah. and um, it's not surprising that uh, more lightly lightly framed people really suffer in those sort of environments. So, but they use their bodies well. That's the thing. Yeah. Probably my knock on Jackson, you know, one on one is that he's the, speaking of weed. Is he? He's like weed. He doesn't. He doesn't have the ability that say Frida does, who's skinny to use his body and keep the player either under the ball or, or away from the drop zone. And um, Jackson seems to be like a basketball. That's how he looks like. Yeah. He's always yeah. going up for a tip-off. Um, and um, But, you know, the, McCartan, I, both boys, they were both, both terrific, yeah. weren't they? And, yeah. and so not only are they strong, they're, they're classic footballers who, who use their body and hold off the opposition like, like a player like Hawkins does. Um, you know, maybe it's a bit a bit rough to be knocking Jackson, but um, yeah, in terms of that forward craft, it's going to be super fascinating because without T Mac, I mean, it goes to that question. You know, I, I don't know what you thought, Andy and George, about those comments, but they were unusually direct from Goody about weed, weren't they? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely, I think. I think just as I said pre-show, I think just picking uh, Mitch Brown, who was who's sort of the in case of emergency break glass type of player, and I like Mitch Brown. I've been a fan of everything I've seen up to date of him, uh, but playing Mitch Brown before Wiedemann is a huge, huge statement. Um, and I don't know yeah. what was talked about to Wiedemann about yeah. why he wasn't getting a game, but. Those comments by Goody is a fair indication of what uh, is. What did he say? He said he's playing better footy than him. No, about playing big boy. He play big boy football. Oh, That's right. how it sounded. I, I reckon he he didn't quite say it. That. That's how actually what he meant. But it was trying not to say if that makes sense. But that's how it came across. Is he's got to play like a a man who's playing against other men, and that's I guess what we've been talking about. It. It, if it, nothing else, it says to me that there's been a change in approach of how to try and get the best the best way to get the best out of Wiedemann. Um, and, you know, this talk about, which I've been part of as well, you know, he's a, he's a confidence player. It just struck me as I think that Goodwin's patience on the on that front is, is, <laughs> is just about run its course. I, I, I'll go back to the original comment about... Um, Brown playing the better football, and I think that is correct. Yeah. Um, if you look at the um, Brown the previous week against um, Frankston, um, and Mitch, he, Mitch Brown, you're talking Mitch about Mitch Brown, yeah, yeah. Um, he he was working really hard up the ground, up to the wing. He was the target um, for Tomlinson in the kickouts, um, and he, um, unlike Wiedemann, unfortunately for Weed, if there's any body body contact, he just doesn't mark the ball. Uh, he he kicked three goals this week against Casey, all of which were from uncontested marks. Even when he kicked six against North Melbourne, he was credited with one contested mark. But in fact, there was no body contact in that in that situation. It was in a pack, but he was at the back of the pack. He, if there's a body contact, he just gets pushed off it so easily. And unfortunately, when you're playing against as we just spoke about, a team like Sydney that's got big bodies, they will push you, and uh, the results are um, apparently becoming a little bit more, more broadly known at the moment. And the bottom line is you, the number one job these days is not to mark it up forward, is to that's, – that's fantastic if you can. Yep. It's to bring the ball to ground, yep. and the last two weeks has been a disaster for us in our yep. inability to, to stop the opposition taking contested and uncontested marks for that, for that yep. um, matter. And which player has not been in the team 
He won't be and will not be in the team for, for the yeah, majority a, of the year. And it's a look, to be honest, that's what I was saying last week about injury. It's the biggest factor in football, and that is a big out. Like, you know, he he's not easily replaced, as we can see. We've already gone past the second player, it would seem. I, I wonder whether they're trying to get his head. You know, it's one last last chance saloon for, for Weed. Who knows? I don't, I don't know whether he can take that opportunity. But, you know, Mitch Brown, I mean, I, I rate him. It's a bit like George was saying about when T-Mac went back to Casey. He's a natural footballer who runs to the right spot. But, you know, he was behind Wiedemann and I not a huge rap on Wiedemann. So where that leaves us for that second tour, Van Ruin's not not ready. Well, I was uh, going to say, uh, Van Ruin, I, I, I like the fact that uh, we haven't, we have the luxury of playing him in the twos, let him develop in the yeah. twos and bring him in when he's ready. But uh, do you think we'll break, we'll say, hey, let's just try him? I don't think, well, only if they think he's ready because it's no good for his development. That's like, he's a, you've got to, so no is, but, you know, maybe, no, not now, but maybe closer to the finals. I mean, it's happened in, in years past, hasn't it? I mean, it, it happened oh, he bought a black time Bowie, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's a bit yeah. different, isn't it? Like, Bowie's is, side yeah, isn't, isn't yeah. an issue. I mean, the other player I thought, what about Tomlinson going forward? He played centre-half forward pretty much a whole season, I think, in 2017 for the um, Crows. Kicked, uh, sorry, Giants. for the Giants. Kicked 12 goals that year. Um you know, he's strong enough to compete um, up forward. He's got the sort of his, you know, probably doesn't, it doesn't fill me with super confidence yeah. him up forward, but, you know, he's strong, isn't he? We, and don't, we, don't, we don't know what he's going, going to actually provide, though. You know, yeah. we, we, we need that bustling um, person who's prepared to do the bullocking that T-Mac does so well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Brown's I, not really that sort of player either. No, he's really no, on, no. The, on the lead type player as well and he's yeah. not particularly strong, so... Yeah. The other thing Tomlinson might add is that he can be swung back if needed if someone goes down. Yeah, well, exactly. So that's right. He's got a bit of flexibility. He's like a poor man's T Mac. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to uh, our our positives. Uh, I really didn't have a positive from this week's match. I spoke about Max's Herculean efforts. He was simply outstanding. Other than that, my only positives uh, are, are that the bye is coming, and maybe not soon enough. Uh, and the other one is that Stephen May is back this week. Uh, we're an infinitely better team with him in the side. However, I, I'm not positive that Petty is going to get back up uh, after two weeks of being banged about. Uh, let's hope there's no, no shoulder injuries. We haven't heard anything from the injury uh Things we usually hear on Monday. I really hope there's not a uh, what do we call it? Uh, George uh, Whispering Jack always says mystery injury of the week, and I hope that's not one of them. Um, just some stuff about some stats about um, May that I saw today. The demons, um, the demons. This was from Zerohanger dot uh, com. Uh, the demons' latest defeat saw Simon Goodwin's backline structure concede ten marks inside their defensive fifty, the club's second worst tally of the season and highest since round three. Melbourne's backline also lost eight defensive one-on-one contests uh, for the match. A metric May has allowed on, on just two occasions from a total of thirty-nine contests. The 5.1% uh, contested defensive loss rate places May number one in the competition for one-on-one defensive efforts. It's 4% lower than the next best in the league, uh, Port Adelaide's Tom Jonas. Um, 
So just 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 that uh, you know he's he's uh, he's contested uh, a ball work one on one is fantastic. We we just need, we need him back. We're a much better team with him in it, and not to mention the marshalling that he does as a leader in defence. So he's my positive that he's coming back this week. Hasn't it been interesting the um, critique on Lever in the, in the last little bit? It's you know the I mean May's been incredible, but it's as if you know there's been a, quite a lot of negative commentary about Lever um, in the last little bit. Um, and I mean the, I don't know if you saw if you saw first crap <laughs> they showed like a blooper reel of all these mistakes in the um, in the Swans game. But uh, you know I guess for me. That's the thing that, again, it's like uh, George was talking about last week with structures, uh, sorry, or the week before, the, you know, May out creates a problem for Lever uh, and, and he's less able to do what he's best at um, with May out of the side. Well, exactly. you got Petty off for a quarter of um, a game. But I don't expect Lever to be a one-on-one defensive player. Uh, he plays his best footy when we've got May and we've got Petty there doing their work and Lever coming in to spoil or, or take that uh, intercept mark. Um, and he still looks a little off, doesn't he, fitness-wise? Yeah. Like he hasn't ever he's, seemed to look... It's not the only one. We've got a few that aren't yeah. looking uh, yeah. Uh George, um, you seem to have struggled to come up with a, a positive for this week's match and no, I won't I spoil it. <laughs> My positive is just leading on from where we were, what we are actually talking about, I think it's time to put away the razor blades about what's been <laughs> happening in the last couple of weeks. You know, let's, honestly, folks, just just have a look at what was missing last week and the, the half-baked side, effectively, that we're able to put on the field this week. You know, we didn't have Stephen May. We've talked about how critical he is to the to the system. Petty was out for a, virtually a whole quarter in this game in which the Swans kicked four goals you know, while he was off the ground. Unsurprisingly, but he he wasn't there. That's that's when the weaknesses fall. Ed Langdon is, you know, you do not recover from broken ribs in the space of two weeks. They're still not quite right. You don't expect him to be running as hard, and you don't expect him to be taking the hits that he would have otherwise um, have done. Um, Harms has just come back and probably was filled his roles adequately, but he was he just wasn't as tough and as hard as what we've learned to expect. Even Petrarca has been down. The two Browns were all 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 down this week, and we lost by two goals. <laughs> two goals that could have been you know, Max missed that virtual sitter in in the forward line, and Fritch kicked one out of bounds that normally you would have put on um, as a certainty down in the book as well. So and Brown um, Brown Ben Brown. Didn't even make the distance uh, for yeah. none of them from forty out. Or yeah, but we, cer- we we certainly had our chance even in that last quarter, in the last dying minutes, to to actually you know get at least get back to a drawn game. Um, we ran out of legs at, at the end. You know, the Swans kicked um, four goals in that last quarter, and as Andy mentioned before, we kicked one um, for the whole half. You know, so um, and we still only lost by two goals. So put the razor blades away. Do you think we're suffering uh, from the Darren Burgess non-effect of not being there this year? I know we've got some injuries and players, but uh, I don't know. He's yeah, but we're not we're, we're not getting the hamstring injuries. The, the the ones that we're suffering are you know Liz contact. Franks and contact and um, concussions and you know even COVIDs and things like that. Um, 
it's when you get a whole series of hamstrings, you know, there's something wrong with the um, conditioning and fitness people, but uh, I don't think that's the situation so far. It's just good old bad luck. And as Binderman said, injuries are critical to a side um, about this. And as Goodwin keeps bringing up this as a tough game, it is a competitive game and the difference between winning and losing is very little. Um, Binman, we might go to your, uh, we might, your positive was also your negative, you, you want to talk about loading, but we might go to that when we talk about uh, improvements. Um, so we'll get into uh, improvements now. I, I was going to, I was going to talk about our forward connection or lack thereof, but I think we've adequately discussed that in the tactics talk section. I think that uh, the other thing I want to talk about, uh, I think our inability over the past two weeks to score from intercepts really needs improvements. We've sort of touched on this, but last week we were outscored by 35 points against the Dockers uh, on on the turnover, which was our worst differential from uh, our last 36 games. Um, And this week against the Swans, we were outscored on the intercept by 50 points. In fact, we only scored five points from intercepts, uh, which further highlights our our inaccuracy woes. Because if you you kick five goals instead of the five points, you really uh, you know sort of create a, a smaller differential from fifty points to to twenty points, and and that in, ends up being uh, the difference between winning and losing. But uh, yeah, you be man, you were talking about it. Uh, our our. Scoring from intercepts, and it's it's a, been a problem the last two weeks. So hopefully we can find um, that. And I think our um, our disposal and might have been down to the pressure that they were applying. You mentioned how much pressure there was, but I thought our disposal, particularly handball, we weren't hitting targets. Um, it, it was woeful. So um, needs improvement. And again, it's the symptom, right? So that's a symptom of something. And the, the trick is to accurately work out what the cause is. Um, and, you know, the, so many of the, the things that we saw in that game and against Frio uh, are sheeted home to what's clearly a team who's fatigued. Like, you know, you don't have to have watched much footy to see players tired. And if you don't get turnovers if you're, when, when you're not swarming. I mean, we get the turnovers because... Multiple players create pressure. We win that contest. We then create a um, um, a one-on-one further up the f- sorry one-on-one or um, you know outnumber further up the field. That's that's the whole model uh, and that swarm that pressure we put on them. If you're fatigued, you're just not simply able to put that same level of pressure on them. Now, what's interesting a bit with a turnover number that's a bit of an anomaly is that we had as many as them. We just didn't score from them. Um, and again, though, that suggests to me is that they did a better job of putting us under pressure when they won the turnover. Um, and we weren't able to capitalise because we weren't putting them under the same amount of pressure. We had less players at the ball. Um, so this fatigue, does this have, you talk about the loading, and this is what you, we may as well go to you now uh, in terms of the loading. Do you want to sort of explain uh, that to either new listeners or to myself who still doesn't understand it after after a, a whole season of you trying to explain it to me? Uh, well, I'll keep it to This is a theory, so I yeah. will preface it by the fact that this is my theory. Um, the, so the, those symptoms that I talked about. So in the last two weeks, 
Um, For the second state, this is the key point. I talked about this year, uh, last year. All of these things were discussed on the podcast last year and all over Demon Land last year, exactly this point. Um, And um, for that reason, I think we'll, you know, I have no uh, confidence that we won't struggle this weekend for these reasons. So in the last couple of the weeks, the, the, We've been uncharacter had lots of uncharacteristic fumbles, lots of poor decision making. Suddenly, out of nowhere, the opposition are able to move the ball quickly through the corridor. We've got we've got trouble all of a sudden sh- um, shutting down our switches um, or the opposition switches, I should say, and therefore trouble um, you know real difficulty and challenges stopping the opposition transitioning at, um, out of our um, front half into their uh, up the ground. Clearly fatigued players. Gorn was was exhausted 20 minutes into that quarter. We've got less swarm, less multiple players running in waves, less players hitting the contest. Because of that, as I mentioned before, we've got an inability to create goals with swarm and run. Um, one of the most noticeable things that's happened in the last couple of weeks is the opposition of just marking way too many one-on-ones in the forward half. That's because they're moving the ball, both Frio and Swans were moving the ball so quickly. We weren't able to get back with our defensive zone and, and they were killing us in the air. Um, and we've also um, sort of related to that, uncharacteristically giving up a lot of contested marks, which, you know, all of those things aren't normal for the way we play now. Why? What are, what's happening? What, what, what's causing those issues? Now, you could, you know, there's a lot of factors. There's the COVID um, issue we had against Frio. The talk was, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I've heard that, you know, there were up to six, seven, eight players with the flu in that game, not just Petrarca. Um, so there's that. There's some recovery. We've got not our best players on the field. We've got injuries. So all of those factors, long season, they all play a part. Um, but um, I apply the Occam's razor principle, which is often the the answer is the simplest one. Um, and for me, the answer is the simple answer is we're fatigued through loading. Loading has been part of football forever and a day. It's one of the strangest phenomena in football. Um, you know, it's standard footy practice. Uh, and as I put on Demoland, you could write a thesis on why it is that people want to completely ignore it. Um, and the thesis would have a chapter on why current players and coaches reflexively deny loading happens. Um, it seems to be, you know, the greatest evil is to offer up any reason for poor for poor performance lest it um be accused you know you'd be accused of um you know the greatest sin of all which is to make excuses it's for the same reason that um people don't factor how important injuries are because you don't make excuses that's the culture of footy um but the loading thing is bizarre because the evidence is there you can see it it, it can it be a coincidence that exactly at this same point in the year all of those issues that i listed um were happening no it can't as you mentioned at the top, um, Richmond in each of their premiership years lost multiple games. At what point in the season? At this point in the season. Same with um, uh, same with West Coast in their 2018 win. They lost three or something. They were the dominant team and they lost um, a handful of games in the middle part of the year. Famously, um, the Cats struggle to win after bye. No one's ever asked why. Why is it? They think, oh, is this some random event? For years, they struggled to win after the bye. It's no doubt because they were loading. Now, I'd argue that all teams load, but some load in a different way because you're really only, you're planning to get to the, it's like a, 
an athlete who is a um, a top shelf 800 meter runner, as I was thinking, like Peter Boll, might if he was to have an Olympic final on the last day in September, um, but also is competing in the European athletics that started end of March, so the same period as our footy season. He wants to be cherry ripe on day one of his season at the end of March, so he's going to have a big pre-season. He also wants to be cherry ripe for the 800 metre final, so he's going to have to stop running at some point and load up um, and take a block of where he's not running and uh, get and get ready for that. It's no different for us. We run in AFL footy, players run between 10 to 15, sometimes more kilometres per match for six months. Um, aerobically, it is incredibly taxing game. Some teams, if you know that you're in a top four um, contention, well, you'll load up differently. You can risk losing a game against Collingwood like we did last year. If you're at Collingwood and you're on the bubble of making the finals, you can't do that, and nor can the Swans. You, you, you know, you don't have the luxury of being able to risk a loss that you might otherwise get. Um, and equally, some teams will be impacted more by um, fatigue. So Melbourne and Richmond, for instance, um, our game, both game plans are built on that all-team running that I mentioned before. If you take that out of our game, we go way back to the pack. That's what we've seen last two weeks. We suddenly look like an ordinary top eight team um, when you take that in. But when you add that back in, um, then suddenly we get what we got from round 17 last year. So it's really important to remember we got beaten by the dogs in round 17 last year, coming off a, um, a draw to Hawks. We didn't get going till round 18. And then we've absolutely pulverised the um, Suns. And if you remember that game, suddenly it looked like, well, it was like a whole different team. We were completely fresh. We were running over the ground and we swarmed them in that game. And we never looked back. From that point on to the end of the grand final, we averaged 107 points um, a game. And it was built on that all-team defensive running and swarm, which we just can't do at the moment. Um, And so there's no question in my mind that the, the... the reason for that is the loading. Um, and as I said, all teams do it to um, some degree or other. Um, the, the, the top four contenders um, will do it um, uh, much, probably to a much higher level at a much more demanding um, level. It's going to impact Lions less because they rely less on that all-team defensive running. One of the comments on Demonland, so it's created a bit of uh, argument and discussion on Demonland. And there's two things that come out. Well, why wouldn't we know about it? If it happens, why wouldn't we know about it? One, it's the culture thing. You just don't do it. Who knows? Australian rules footy, the way it's covered, is bizarre, I reckon. But you might remember when we had this discussion last year, this very exact same discussion, um, Rewald was basically admitted it on um, 360. He was asked directly by Waitley, Did you, do you load? And he was talking about, I forget which season he was talking about, he said, yes, essentially. So, you know, there's just no doubt it happens. Um, the other the other factor is... Um, you know, so why would it happen? I, I think that's the, I mean, that's obviously a, a key why we don't know about it. Um, and then, you know, that's the other thing about, well, what are the reasons for? Why does this happen at this um, point of time? So for me, it's a huge factor. I, I think we'll struggle against Collingwood. It won't be such a big issue because they don't move the ball as incisively as Frio and um, um, the Swans do. So that's what caught us out because you can't spread. Um, Collingwood will play a much more aggressive territory game where it's contest, contest, and so they won't exploit us in the same way. So I, I reckon it'll be a really close physical game, which 
which will really help us at this point of season. Um, we've also got all those other issues that we talked about that are exacerbating um, things. So I think head up, this is it, it, what ha- it's happens every year. I've said at the beginning of the season, this is what we'd be talking about it. We are talking about it. Um, you know, I, I find it funny that like there's this collective refusal to acknowledge it. I don't really understand what that's about. So um, yeah, yeah. The, that's my that's my take and that's my two cents on loading. Uh, and the positive thing about it from my perspective is agree or disagree, I'm pretty confident that I'm right um, and it means that I'm not too stressed about um, getting beaten by Frio. Um, one of the other things that uh, – or, or Swans – and one of the other comments about, well, if the two pushbacks against the, the discussion about loading is, well, why don't we know about it? So I've answered that. The other one is, well, why doesn't it happen to other teams? And I, and I think fans often just are so insular that they look at their own team. Brisbane have now lost two of their last three games. The one that they won was against the Suns. They were 30, sorry, the Giants. They were 30 points down after 20 minutes of footy in that game. They looked flat against Frio. Um, now, who's talking about them? They had a chance to go to the top of the ladder if they rolled Frio. They've lost two of the last three. They um, they play Saints this week. If they lose that, they will have lost three of the last four. Frio lost two of their games coming into our game. So after they beat us, they'd also lost two of their three. That's the top three teams have lost two of their last handful of games um, in, in close succession. As I said, you've talked about the, the examples in other seasons, but to me, that's pretty compelling evidence. Um, and, you know, it's just, as I say, it's what happens in footy. So, what you're saying is we're going to lose this week. I <laughs> am not confident. Not. If you're a punter, back Collingwood at the line would be my um, tip. Um, so, I, I, I think there's an, every chance we'll lose this week. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back <laughs> next week. <laughs> Uh, George, anything you want to add uh, to that before you go into your improvement? How could I possibly add anything to that? As, <laughs> as Lazy in the chat room said, uh, he wants Binman to put it on a PhD and we can read about it later on. <laughs> you get get working on your thesis, uh, Binman. Yeah. <laughs> I spend too long writing on Demonland. What I might just do is copy together my Demonland. Cut and paste. <laughs> Cut and paste. I'll, get, I'll get my 100,000 words pretty quickly. Well, I'll um, I'll uh, take a, a cut of whatever you make make from that. Um, George, you want to go into your improvement? Uh, a and B in the strange tactics. Yeah, uh, strange statistics rather than the tactics. Um, oh, sorry. Um, we all know about A and B, and he's running um, and pressure and things like that. What I, I was concerned when I was looking through the statistics is his actual football output this week. Um, he had 20 disposals, um, eight kicks and 12 ha- handballs, and the grand total of 108 metres gained. Now, given he kicked for goal from about 40 metres, that means his total metres coverage was about 60 to 70 metres for the whole game off the other 19% off the other 19 disposals. Now, as an example, Ben Brown with four, dis- four disposals had 92 metres covered. So the question is, what, what in the hell is A&B doing with the ball in hand when he's got it in hand he's just not using it to get to get any any territory um i don't know that he's using it all that well so uh just keeping an eye on it that we all know about his running capabilities but um i think if this is uh, going to continue then uh, toby bedford who can run equally as well may well find himself um replacing someone else 
I think what's also been uh, disappointing is he's had, and I'm just trying to look up um, what he's he's had shots of goal in the last uh, couple of weeks and, at crucial times and has missed, which has been very disappointing. Um, just trying to find. Uh, Oh, no, that goes back to his first season. Uh, yeah, he's kicked in the last two weeks, two points. Um, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be wouldn't be greatly worried about that. I mean, if he's if if Bean Man's um, theory about uh, loading is is correct, um, you know, if you're kicking from forty or fifty, uh, as was the case on the weekend, then you know you haven't got the same depth of of kicking capabilities. But 108 meters off 19 possessions. When he's playing almost a mid outside mid type of role, is isn't isn't very much at all. Um, so my question is about his contribution with ball in hand, as opposed to his his other things, which are very critical to the side. No, but if you're I've always said if you're going to have low um, low stats and yeah. at low percentage gain, you've got to make the most of opportunities. And when you're in front of goal and you miss two crucial goals, uh, particularly in games where it's well. The uh, free free game wasn't too close in the end, but mm. yep. All right, uh, uh, B man, you want to add anything to that, uh, or we'll move uh, on? Just, uh, from uh, any of my answers from now on for the for next four weeks is going to be loading. All right, loading. <laughs> there you go. Just with that, some players will. It'll be really. I mean, who knows the impact of the second season of this? But uh, you know, I wonder whether at this point in the last season. Jackson super struggled. He was, we were talking about it on the podcast, his um, um, contribution dropped off the shelf. But a player like Nibbler, uh, whose game is built around the, the clicks that he runs and same for um, um, Langdon, um, he was the, the player in that Giants game. It was so noticeable how um, less uh, his ability to run over the ground last year and, and I wonder whether that's at least partly a factor. Uh, in terms of um, Nibbler. But the other thing is that it looked a bit like we were trying to control the ball um, by not, you know, we, we weren't swarming. We don't have that energy. And so it looked a bit like we were trying to sort of hold back the dam a little bit. And so whether Nibbler is doing a bit more of sort of chipping it around the back line when he gets at George, I'm sure I'd have to look where he got his, his mm-hmm. kick. But, yeah, it's an interesting observation of it. He's not going anywhere, though, George. I can guarantee you that. I got last, a last time, last time you said that he was out for a week. Nibbler, when he caught, no, he hasn't yeah, when he caught COVID. Me. When he caught COVID. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> he came straight back in. Yep. <laughs> um, you realise we're going to be playing Brisbane in a couple of weeks. So, what happens when two teams are loading yeah. at the same time? Does that cancel each other out? I was wondering about that, and, and I wonder whether look, you know, we should get a sports scientist on because I'm clearly not a sports scientist. <laughs> but I, I did wonder, you know, like the one of the other comments is, oh, well, you wouldn't be loading at this point of the year, but well, you'd be loading closer to the finals. But that's not how it works. You got to taper. You got to taper for a long period of time. So you've got to be super as fresh as possible. And what's interesting about our season as opposed to last season is that we've got a really tough last six weeks. Um, so we play Brisbane a second time in that. And so I and wonder Frio. whether, you know, so whether Frio, for instance, I know it was wet and difficult conditions, but they lost those two games against two teams outside the eight. Um, maybe, you know, they were um, loading at that time 
to be as fresh as possible for their two big games against us and the Lions. And I um, backed the uh, Frio on my theory and did pretty well out of it on the weekend because I couldn't believe Lions were favourite for that game. It was mind-boggling because Frio, one, were in better form. They just rolled us for a start. And two, Brisbane are, um, um, had come off poor form. Um, but, yeah, so it's an interesting question on that timings. Um, I, I suspect... You know, yeah, it's an interesting question um, about when two teams are loading. I don't have an answer for that one. All right, let's move on to to Casey. I wasn't able to get to the G early enough to watch the twos. George, you did get to see Casey run out on the G, which I hope they will schedule more of these uh, matches in the future. Um, who who of the demon-listed players impressed you? <laughs> I didn't quite get to see them run out. I actually watched okay. the first quarter on the telly <laughs> and then caught the game in and caught the second half, um, which was interesting because it, it absolutely confirmed my um, uh, and Bidman's observations about the difference between watching a game in telly and live. Um, things, that, pl- things and players uh, that you thought were doing quite all right on the telly, I can tell you, weren't all doing all that right. Um when you see them live, you know. Um, but anyhow, um, look, um, it was pretty obvious. Uh, Rivers and Hibbert were simply a class above everyone else there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see either of those come in this week. Um, uh, hopefully Rivers' uh, knee is a bit better than than the, the strapping that he puts on it every week, which is just huge. Hibbert uh, played a full game as far as I saw. Um whereas last week he had uh, limited um, minutes, but uh, he was certainly a bit of old, you know, just reliable down the back. Um, and this was in the absence of, of Tomlinson uh, in the side. The, the one who does look really good is, is Turner, uh, mm. Disco Turner, as they call him. He reads the play beautifully down at the back line. He has got every... Um, uh, characteristic that uh, Harry Petty has got in the... Mm capabilities, you know, reads of football, natural footballer can kick and mark and do just absolutely, absolutely everything. Um, JVR didn't do very much. He contributed this week, but you know, it's typical of a, of a 19 year old and we keep forgetting that he has a great week. One week kicks six goals and the next week he doesn't score anything. Um, and that's why uh, you wouldn't want to be pushing him through to the seniors as yet. He, he certainly knows what to do and he, Absolutely crashed a pack in the mm-hmm. huge, huge way um, that uh, resulted in a, a goal out the back to one of our players. But um, yeah, he's he's well and truly development. Um, uh, Rosman apparently did a, a hamstring before uh, during training, so he didn't didn't play this week. Bailey Laurie is is good, but my question about Bailey Laurie is how in the hell does he get a run in the seniors ever? You know, he's being played in the midfield. He's a long way behind, you know, the Olivers, Petrarchas, Vineys, Harms, uh, even when you go further than that, Chandlers, you know, how does the guy get a run? Um, I maybe don't know. A, maybe he's a tall forward. <laughs> well, it, yes, we might have a hole there, <laughs> which is interesting. He has re-signed for another two years, so yeah, he's obviously yeah. wants to Look, stick around and not be sort of traded yeah. to Look, a team. He, He's certainly got the capabilities, but you know it's just such t- the talent ahead of him is is, mm. is, is his biggest problem. Um, so uh, Oscar Baker, as somebody said on the weekend, he he'd have sixty or eighty games in most other AFL clubs, um, but 
he's just not good enough kick, he, is he? That's he's, he's just an awful kick. He just he, he gets the ball so much. He runs. He's very fast. Runs brilliantly. Yep. But I, I can't remember someone on Demon Land said, "Yeah, he'd be great, but he can't. He can't hit the side of a barn." Yeah. With his kicking, and that just doesn't work in AFL anymore. So, um, yeah. uh, particularly if you're playing on the wing, you've got to be able to deliver. Um, I was disappointed watching Magic live as opposed to Magic on the TV. On the TV, he looks fantastic. He's always at the ruck contest. He gets gets the you know he's very athletic. Gets the ball around. Gets the ball down. Doesn't do very much work other than that. That and that's mm-hmm. his problem. Um, uh, he's he really is a break glass in case of emergency and it's only as a rucking option but if you want to get to AFL level as a ruck you've got to do a lot more work around the ground and a lot more running um, and like I said live didn't see a great deal of evidence of that so yeah um, good thing about Casey is they, they haven't lost a game they're looking pretty threatening um, they'll be certainly be in it um, uh, so yeah it, it, it was interesting to watch it was great to see it before the game um, mm. Before the main game has gave the people something to watch, and it's much more entertaining than all those stupid music and and flashing light stuff that the AFL think that uh, they're contributing to the fan experience by. Just put some reserve games on, and that'll be a far greater ex- experience. How did Melksham play? <sighs> Honestly, I did not notice him. <laughs> Honestly, did not notice him. Sorry. Yeah. And um, Rivers, how was he running across the ground? Is he? Yeah, he seemed to, seemed to be moving quite quite freely. He was certainly involved. And the unfortunate thing is when when you when players of that quality inhibits the same when they go back to the VFL, they do stand out because they just do things so easily. It's um, so I don't know whether he's being pressured to the same amount. Yeah, uh, probably not at that level, uh, particularly in the back line. Um, uh, Sydney sort of fell away heavily in the second half. They they did well in the second quarter and came back a little bit, but after that it was a one-way street. So the black backs didn't need to do a lot more. So, but uh, he, he looked well enough to come back. I reckon um, uh, Petty's a really good um, uh, analogy or comparison to Turner. You're right. Like they're similarly not really huge so not like May's size that sort of key defender but read both read the ball um super well but yeah I think you hit the nail on the head both are well um obviously Petty is that we know from just his body of work at AFL level but Turner is a natural footballer isn't he, he gets where the ball is going to go he, he's smart in his use he doesn't try too much um you know he, he's a he's a bit of a wild card I reckon as we head towards the finals because yeah you know, I'd hate to see. I don't want to see Petty go up forward. There's been some discussion on Demonlanders whether maybe Petty could go up forward, and it's just, it's like you've got such a good defender. That's where you keep him. So, but I wonder whether Turner's got the smarts to go up forward. I mean, he's not. Mm. He's not really big enough, is he? Probably not. Probably not. No. No. And again, he's. he's He's, he's young and he was injured at the start yeah. of the season. Well, yeah. He's 22 or something. He wasn't even mature. <sighs> I uh, can't remember. Sorry. Yeah, I think we drafted him. Uh, didn't we oh, get right. him in the pre uh, mid season draft? Yeah, I yeah. Think yeah, yeah. But yeah, let's hope that he's not a replacement for Petty this week. No. Yeah. Well, talk, talking about replacements, we may as well get into the ins and outs. And without knowing uh, what damage uh, from this week's match is, it's hard to sort of make predictions. Uh, surely Stephen May is a lock to come back in. 
as we said, we don't know if Petty's shoulder, there's anything more to come of that. Uh, and uh, if he doesn't come up, um, then uh, Tomlinson, I guess, will stay in. Or if, if Petty does get up, then Tomlinson will be probably out of the team in the LIFO system, last in, first out. Um and then come forward line, they might move around some deck chairs on the Titanic and bring Wiedemann to pro- replace Mitch Brown. But I, I just don't know. Um, I, I don't know um, if there'll be any other changes. Uh, guys, what do you think, B-Man? Well, we 100% know that oh, well, um, Wiedemann's not coming back in. Well, not yeah. after um, that comment, no. No. Um, and so you'd reckon Mitch Brown will stay in. Um, he, I don't think – he wasn't super impressive, but he – Thought he was good early on in the game. He took a couple of marks, but after that, neither him nor Ben Brown were taking any marks up the line. Yeah. Obviously, mm. down forward, they weren't. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, look, uh, in terms of so, let's we we know Tommy Max. Well, he's not the situation. Back. He's not coming back in. Um, it would, you know, would they take Harms out for? Uh, sorry, um, Rivers out for a week and only give him a week and bring him back. I mean, they've done that before. Personally, I'd like to see a fit and firing Rivers back in and then um, Brayshaw back to the wing where that leaves jo- um, JJ, I'm not sure. Um, so JJ's been pretty good. Um, yeah, I been, know we haven't mentioned a lot of ways. But, yeah, I mean, you want you, you want a, a fit and firing Rivers back in that team. I mean, he's obviously sort of gone back to work on some things. Um, Hunt didn't have a great game, did he? He was, um, he was pretty ordinary. Three to three disposals. Yeah, and and they again with the, the Swans and Frio both did something really clever, which is and it was again linking to our inability to spread properly. Um, it just won't happen when we're spreading properly the amount of one on ones. But both Frio and Swans did really really cleverly isolated particular players up forward mm. and um, it, or down back for um, for us. And one of them was Hunt. They've really looked to isolate him one on one, and that effort where I forget who he ju- jumped over, or oh, it was yeah. Papley. Oh, oh, of all players to be sitting underneath it is Papley, and and Hunt was looking at the umpire. I was thinking, Hunt, honey, don't look at the umpire, man. <laughs> Just find a hole and jump into it because mm. it was terrible, and it was a really critical time of the game. And the other funny thing about how we're playing at the moment, and you know, fatigue, I think. Fatigue makes um, everything more difficult, um, but also the decision maker. They're, they're looking a little bit flummoxed at times, which that we don't see that often. And Hunt looked a bit flummoxed when he gets trapped one on one. But you know, yeah, I, I think that he's probably got some credits in the bank because he's done. You know, he's done well. I mean, you know, they've got some good small forwards. We'll talk about it in a sec. Um, the pies. So it'll be really interesting to see. I, I don't think he'll get dropped on on the one game. Um, Brown, you know, let's, if my theory is correct, some players will be impacted more by the um, um, the loading, and Brown's one of them. Um, so he's going to he struggles to get to contest, but he's had some disastrously low numbers in the last couple of weeks, hasn't he? But I mean, he not get dropped either. So we so have no we change. Haven't, we haven't got a forward, but I, I I can't see Hunt staying in the side at the moment. The fact that the opposition coaches have targeted him. Tells you something, um, and if if Hibbert's half half uh, capable, I think he 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 would do the job. And but do you, how was he moving quick enough to play on Cameron? You reckon, Jock, from what you saw? Well, like I said, it was hard to say because the Swans fell away so 
so yeah. um, dramatically. But Hibbert's greatest asset is his strength, firstly, yeah. but and also his ability to kick kick the ball. You know, again, the um, in case in case of emergency, kick the ball out of the back line sixty meters. Um, he can do that so brilliantly at times. So, um, and he's a natural defender, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, Hunt yeah, for yeah, all his, you know, yeah. like that. That he's not a natural one-on-one defender, that's for sure. No, and no. and Hibbert eats. He loves one-on-one, and you know that's yeah, his yeah. strength really, because he can play on someone much bigger than him and much you know stronger than him, and yep. and equip himself pretty well. So, um, I'm glad to hear that he's in good nick because we can probably do with a bit of his. Ability to hit packs hard and then his aggression as well, I reckon, just about now. Uh, well, let's move on to opposition watch. Be man, you watch the Magpies, they got out to an early lead of uh, 30 odd points only for the Hawks to uh, mount a spirited comeback. Magpies were victorious in the end by four points in a thriller. What can we expect from our opposition this week? They're, they're everyone's darlings this year, aren't they? The Pies, I, I've um, like other people, I've really enjoyed watching them play and, and it's just interesting the different approach um, that they've taken to the game after um, after the after the Buckley years, I guess. And Buckley was so defence first. Um, and under McRae, who's been... He's another... His presses are fantastic. <laughs> he doesn't... You know, he's on, honest and open and enthusiastic. Um, him and Mitchell, I've, I've been loving both of them, actually. Um, Sam Mitchell... Um, their model is really interesting in what they've changed. I mean, in some respects, it's a little similar to the, um, the Melbourne uh, example of Ruse coming in and being, you know, really focused on a defence and, and limiting opposition scores as basically that was it. Buckley did that for five, six, seven seasons. And so if you're a Collingwood fan, it must be a breath of fresh air this year. And um, McRae is in... It, is in similar to say the 2018-2017 Melbourne team looking to get the ball forward, um, not as defensively strong, but really, really excellent in the contest. Um, they've got a really simple game plan. Um, I haven't quite sort of I got a handle on their sort of defensive structures or setup. It's not super sophisticated, not, no. not that strong. That's their sort of weakness, I think, isn't it, George? Yeah, um, yeah. It really falls down to Moore and Howe. Yeah. And, and they drop drop their Ruckman back. Yeah, and with Moore and Howe, if you can stretch him and, like, you, you know, he's he, – I mean, he's good one-on-one, but he got towed up a couple of weeks ago when they did get some separation and, and quick ball movement. I mean, quick ball movement will – Will expose every backline. There's no, there's no, and put every backline under pressure. Normally, we can cover it, um, um, but where you know you can't when you when you're down. You're not when you're not putting pressure on that last kick inside fifty, as we talked about in two as a nineteen and twenty a lot. If, you, if that pressure's not been kicked, well, any defender's going to struggle. The thing that really marks the pies out um, this year is their contest and their territory. They're su- they're like they've got the way they look is like Richmond's game plan without the defensive system behind the ball, which yep. is get it forward at all costs. 
and then back yourself to win that um, post-clearance possession, which is, you know, for weeks was the everyone was talking about in the commentary. Now they haven't been, but that's uh, by all accounts almost the most important um, statistic for coaches in footy. Um, and they're terrific at it. Um, and so they look to get it forward much similar to us without that sort of defensive system behind to protect. So they're, they're, they're vulnerable on the um, – absolutely vulnerable on the um, turnover. Um, but, you know, they, they've um, got their forward line sort of uh, Ginevan and I, I really rate Oliver Henry. He's um, got a good pair of hands and, um, you know, floats across the pack and takes those sort of Royce Hart-type marks. I'm not comparing him to Royce Hart, but that same style. Um, uh, they've got you know a, a reasonable um, sort of for, uh, sorry um, um, you know in Pendlebury and Crisp and you know uh, um, Cameron they've got this, a sort of a decent following brigade um, you know Dugowie's a, a wild card up forward they fight super hard really really hard to um, get trap it in there once they do um, you know really it's not much science to their game plan. You know, it's really about the contest, which is why I think they're a good team for us to be playing because, as I said, you know, I'm convinced that we've been, um, we've, we're fatigued. Really doesn't matter what the reason is. The fatigue's obvious. I don't think anyone can argue with that. Um, and they're not a team that's going to expose that so badly for us because they don't move the ball through the corridor. In the, I mean, they look to go through the corridor, but they're not as, as incisive as the Swans and Frio, certainly not Frio. Frio were brilliant um, against the Lions. I, I really enjoy watching them play, but they're so quick on the outside. Collingwood would just run through, run through us, which will suit us because they won't expose us on the spread as much, and so therefore it'll mitigate against um, you know our def- all-team defensive running being you know sort of ten percent off where it needs to be or will it, where it will be come finals. Um, I, I think. Uh, uh, what's the small four that... Um, Ginevan. Okay. No, not Ginevan. Um, the Elliot. Elliot. Um, is he injured? Did he got... Yeah, yeah, he's out out of the last minute. Yeah, and um, he's... Uh, I can't, can't recall what his injury is, but he's critical to them and he's exactly the sort of player that throws up a problem for us. And if he does play, Hibbert is the sort of player who could take him. Whereas I reckon um, Hunt would really struggle on him. Ginevan, you know, is the sort of player that you know you probably don't have a direct opponent on, and you just back your 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 defenders to win the grand ball um, down there against him. Um, but Elliot is a player that has always troubled us, and I I, I would be hope, happy enough if he doesn't play. Um, you know, I, I think that we can expect a very sort of tough. Arm wrestle for the whole day, probably very similar to that game that on the weekend with a bit less flair. Um, but you know, I, you know, I'm probably overselling Swans' flair a little bit. They were really meat and potatoes. I was, you know, they were, re- you know, they had uh, tackled hard. I think Collingwood tackles number will be hard. Will it be high again? Um, you know, it probably sets up really well too, given that um, the big freeze was up in Sydney last year and it was a bit of a weird sort of in feel to the, to that game. Um, it's good that it's um, back at the G for the first time in what? Is this the first time in three years we've had the big freeze Queen's birthday? So, you know, a team Collingwood in the eight against us, you know, there'll be a big crowd you'd hope and it's our home game, isn't it? I'm hoping. No. No, it's not. Oh, no, that's terrible. Well, there you go. It'll be a big crowd for um, for their grand final. <laughs> They've, they've got a pretty impressive midfield at the moment. Um, 
mainly because they're they're so damn tough as those players. It'll be an interesting contest. That you know, Maynard, Crisp, Adams, um, Dugowie was playing a fair bit in the middle as well uh, this week. A Pendlebury they bring in as a as a you know, sweeper almost at, at the back of the mids, but they've got a really solid uh, mid group. Um, but yeah, you're right. They 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 love playing through the middle, but it's all run and gun. So if, yeah, exactly. if they turn it over, um, exactly. that's absolutely lethal down the other end. So hopefully we've got you know the well we ha- will have Stephen May back this week and get that structure back. Lever can start intercepting again. But yeah, the, yeah. that that's the way to expose them. It was interesting. You know, they led by thirty points against Hawthorne, and then they ran out of legs. That was the other thing. That, yeah. um, it's all run and gun. They it's just, all run and gun. Yeah. Contest after contest. Yeah. I mean, they're in the first. No, they're not really in the first year of a rebuild. Are they? They've been there thereabouts, but. You know, it's interesting philosophically because even as a non-Pies fan, I enjoy watching them more now than under Buckley. And you've got to, yeah. you know, it's great. Yeah. It's great to watch. You know, great yeah. to watch Dacos. You know, with thirty-five possessions last week uh, for someone so young to be racking up those sort of numbers. But um, yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant young players all around the ground. Um, you know, you hate to say it, but they they they're heading in the right direction. Yeah, and it was a super game because. Mitchell's taking the same philosophy and that's good because both coaches have clearly said, well, we're here for the experience. If we get the eight and you know, find, make it out, find their way in the eight, we'll, 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 that's fantastic, isn't it? But yeah. their, their focus is on this is the way we want to play. Let's play and we can risk losing games that, um, you know, they, they were really lucky to win that game. Um, but again, it's their defensive weakness. If we've talked about it as well, you know, it's that risk reward. If you go through the corridor and turn it over, you're going to be in trouble. And they do turn it over a lot. Um, mm. As will the Swans once, you know, they hit the bit against teams who can pressure them um, better than we did in the centre. Question on everybody's lips is Will Max Gorn finally get a bounce? Uh, I don't know if you saw this statistic today that um, Max Gorn. Has played the most games by current players without a bounce. 171 games without bouncing the ball. Do you trust Max to bounce the ball? We taught him how to kick. Yeah, I was going to say that one one massive improvement per per season. So he can kick now. Next season he, he'll work on his bouncing. Yeah, I want to see him bound through the middle, take a bounce, kick a big goal. Um, He'll have to, have to go to the uh, Ed Langdon school for a while, then, I think. On just uh, one last thing on the the game that we played in the week is um, again whatever the reason is Petrarca is not himself in terms of explosive power is he? he's just no. not he's not powering away from the contest he's blowing up pretty quick um, you know he he's whether he's still recovering from the flu it's it's a lot of people have been knocked around pretty hard by it so um, you know there's probably a few players in that team who who um, who've struggled with the flu and, and um, getting back up the following week. Yeah, I heard, um, I won't mention any names, but I heard one of the players who did have COVID struggled the next week breathing. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised. And apparently the flu that's going around is a lot worse uh, yeah. than, than COVID has been to a lot of people. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Track is, is still suffering from, from the bout of that he probably had the other week. Um, George, since we've got a little bit of time up our sleeves, you did. You said you wanted to mention the AFLW. 
Yeah, just um, for people who haven't been following it, the um, uh, trade and, dra- and draft uh, period has just been on. I, um, I'm not sure if it's finished, actually. It might might have finished today. Um, it's, it's once again very obvious that we're um, hit looking for to, towards playing at the serious end of the finals. We're not worried about the draft. We had a, an appalling draft situation this year in any case because we played in the grand final. Um, so that, that means you're instantly down at the bottom of the of the picks and then there's four teams have come in and they've all been given priority picks um, uh, ahead of us. So um, I think uh, off the top of my head, I think our first pick was originally going to be somewhere in the 20s. Um, but when you bring in the um, requirement that the AFLW has of um, uh, selecting players from their home states, our pick was possibly going to be more like in the 40s. Um, so what's the point of going to the draft almost this year? And that's why in previous years we picked up and traded to get high draft picks bef- before this came in. So we picked up a couple of great players for the look- looks of it. Jordan Ivey from um, Geelong, who was actually Geelong's vice-captain, uh, 29 years of age and a defender, and that, that's a great addition to the side. Um, and also Char- uh, Charlotte Wilson from Carlton, a 21-year-old defender again. Um, and we've traded a few picks to to, to pick up uh, those players. Um, but really, you know, we've still got to pick around somewhere around the 40s, 50s um, mark. So we really haven't lost a great deal, but we've added a couple of players. The other thing that people may not have understood is um, the AFL in their wisdom um, required every team to uh, amass 28 points of player worth, whatever that is, um, to be allocated uh, by trading off players to the new uh, incoming uh, expansion sides. And if you didn't get 28 points, um, to this day nobody knows what the formula is. It was based around age and uh, pay, pay scales and things like that. If you didn't get the 28 points, which we didn't and Adelaide didn't, you lost your first draft pick Jeez. in any case. So what was the point for us and Adelaide going to the draft this year? You just went straight out and tried to get other players. So uh, that's exactly what we've done. We picked up a couple of good ones, on um, it seems. And um, if you look on the uh, Demon Land side and also the Melbourne Footy Club side, there's a few highlights which all look uh, very promising, but I've never seen bad highlights yet about any players. <laughs> I have fantastic highlights. It only goes for about <laughs> ten seconds, but they were fantastic. Uh, look, I, I, I look. I don't know too much about uh, the new teams coming into the AFLW, but I would suspect that uh, the talent pool is going to be spread very thin, and I yeah. hope it doesn't get into a. Uh, and I'm sure it will, there'll be some teams that get absolutely uh, thrashed and I'm pretty sure not every team's going to be playing every team uh, once. Is yes. That gonna, yeah, so there's going to be a bit of a, you know, lopsided uh, draw, I'm sure, and uh, we'll get screwed once again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. as, as happened a couple of years ago when... I think it was Carlton got into the finals and having having won less games than what we had, yeah. something ridiculous. So, um, uh, well, have uh, they announced when they're starting? How many rounds? All this, but not ten, ten rounds. Yeah, it's only ten rounds. Yeah, it's and August, but not a starting date or the actual draw. Oh, they don't know yeah. when it finishes either. Yeah. When when? Oh, I think they know when it finishes because they've got a day starting date, haven't they? It's like the first round, they haven't announced anything else. Mm. So ten rounds in six week, four week finals. Yeah, I'd, 
Yeah, I don't know about the dates, but you're right, Andy, the talent pool will be spread Mm -hmm. very thinly. The good thing is that um, uh, the drafting over the last couple of years has for the first time been for girls who have actually played yep. their, their whole life, life yeah, effectively yeah. Yeah, 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 as, as yeah. in women's competition as opposed to the, yeah. um, people like Daisy who were playing bits and pieces here and there. Um, so the talent will come through. It's, it's just, yeah, yeah, they no, will. They're all 17 at the moment, yeah. Yeah. Um, those girls. So it'll take a couple of years. But, yeah, I think we'll see some pretty awful matches, unfortunately. Uh, just uh, one final comment, Andy, about um, loading. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I was trying to find this before. Uh, Watson Eleven posted this today on, D, uh, on Demonland, and and a shout out to Watson Eleven. He's been posting some great stats and some great analysis in the um, in the uh, tactics thread. Um, he. I, I think he or, or she or they, I'm not sure, um, um, because they agree with me, um, I think he's really clever. So <laughs> he, he posted today that our fourth quarter stats support the loading theory. Um, in uh, in last year, in the eleven to rounds 11 to 18 last year, in that period that I was talking about that we'd struggled, um, we were um, three wins, five losses in fourth quarters. Um, but for the rest of the seasons, we were 14 wins, three losses in the fourth quarters for the rest of the season. And those losses for, were 1.4 points and six points. This year, we're seven wins, three losses in the um, the fourth. We were in the fourth quarters for weeks one to ten, and so far we're zero two um, for this quote unquote loading period. Um, we've not looked as fit as last year. He made that point, so we probably need the loading period even more. Um, it makes a point, which is a good one, that the concern is it's a lot tougher draw that we've got moving forward uh, and our um, pressure's been down from week one, so we've got a fair bit to do. But the other thing is the, you know, um, he also made the point that some teams will load more than others depending on, on where they are. But, yeah, the, the last second halves have been noticeable, haven't they? Like, you know, running running out of gas in the second half has been the feature of both the last two weeks, or particularly the last quarter. Um, and just the other comment, there was one of the more curious threads on Demon Land this week about or today about the Demon Army and um, the, how how they rate as a cheer squad compared to other um, other teams. And I wanted to give a shout out to the Demon Army for all of their great work they do. And, and thanks, Andy, for the. I went to the um, uh, Best and Ferris last year, which was terrific. Um, and uh, the warmth uh, toward, from the club to the Demon Army was was really impressive. I thought they were clearly the club see them as a big part of the, the um, club and important to the club. Yeah, there was a threat on Demon Land. Uh, someone uh, look, I, I don't think their intention was to. No, to no, no, I'm not accuse, Okay, God, there's all it, sorts of crazy things put on Demon Land. It, it, no, 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 but it sort of it came off against that way. But I think I think what it comes down to, I think. It was more probably it comes down to a criticism because I don't think you can blame that one section of the crowd. It did sound like when the when the swan sort of got going, it did sound that they were louder than than, than perhaps our crowd, which isn't which isn't and Frio as well. I was actually surprised. Frio did actually sound louder <laughs> than us, but I'm not sure if I think when you're sitting in a section of crowd and I sit, everyone around me pretty much demons. So. I think when you're cheering and you're amongst that crowd that's cheering, it doesn't sound as loud acoustically as when the sound's coming from the other side of the ground, i.e. 
the opposition when they kick a goal. So I think it just might be acoustics. Um, well, and, of course, uh, our cheer squad, the Demon Army, have to deal with, you know, battling the um, all the members hitting their cheese boards together. I mean, that makes <laughs> a big noise. But, but, look, crowds are obviously down across the AFL. There's criticism of, of – De- I don't know why the Ds cop it uh, because you have a look at some of the other games and it's just as bad, but we seem to – to, to cop it maybe because of our success and they think that we should be having 50 or 60,000 people there. But, look, we've got 60,000 members and that's that's a good thing. As long well, as 63, isn't it? I think yeah, yes. I'd read. If we can retain that next year, that that's that's great. But uh, you need to have success and sustain success because if we drop off, the membership's going to drop off. Um, and then... We'll have an analysis by George about the uh, finances. So I'm looking looking forward to that in the mid-season review, actually, George, the the numbers. I want the numbers crunched. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. We'll we'll discuss this uh, privately of what we're going to do, but I'm sure we'll do in the bye week after the Collingwood one, we will do a um, a wrap-up of the the year so far. Um, and maybe we could ask the club um, where's our club rooms and social club at. <laughs> perennial one. mid-season question. Yes. All right. Uh, um, well, thank you, uh, B-Man. Thank you, George. Um, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, we'll be back next week to hopefully discuss, and I said this last week, to discuss a return to the winners list. But according to B-Man, that won't be happening. So we'll be discussing... Maybe another loss. Well, I, I, I predict a tough game. Get on the pies at the line. You heard it here first. Uh, be man. Is then if we, you supporter. get the money from the bet and Melbourne win, and you get both, the best of both worlds. Does that really soothe the pain? Uh, yeah. Well, not if we if we win, there's no pain, and you get a bit of money and you kick it. Because the rather, line will be 15 points or something. Would you, ra- would you rather lose and pay the rent or, or win and... Uh, well, I'm not back in calling. I'm back anyway. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Go days. Go Red Legs. Come on, team. Come on, team.